Lesson 12 for March 16 to 22, Judgment on Babylon. Sabbath afternoon, March 16. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're coming towards the end of this series on the book of Revelation and there have been so many instances here where we've seen your hand, we've seen the finger pointing to Jesus and we see what each of us has for us. And as we open this week your word, we pray that we may once again have your Holy Spirit guide us and bless us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Revelation chapter 18 verses 4 and 5. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Let's read that again, Revelation 18, verses 4 and 5. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. The sixth plague causes the symbolic drying up of the Euphrates as the disillusioned people of the world withdraw their popular support from end-time Babylon. As we saw in last week's lesson, the shattering of her power will be preceded by extensive demonic activities counterfeiting the work of God, as we read in Revelation 16, 13 and 14. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. The demonic activity will be successful in uniting the wicked in preparation for the battle of Armageddon. At the outset of the final battle, a great earthquake occurs as part of the seventh plague. The earthquake shatters the unity of Babylon and splits it into three parts, as we read in Revelation 16, verses 18 and 19. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as has not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. End-time Babylon is portrayed as a city, signifying the short-term union of the political and religious powers of the world in opposition to God's people. This unity is shattered, causing the breakup of end-time Babylon. We must keep in mind that Revelation 16.19 only announces the political collapse of end-time Babylon. Chapters 17 and 18 tell us how this collapse actually will happen. Before describing the demise of end-time Babylon and the reasons for its fall, Revelation 17 describes this end-time apostate religious system, this time in terms of a harlot riding a scarlet beast. In association with her daughters, 
the harlot Babylon riding the scarlet beast seduces the world against God, as we read in Revelation 17, 1 to 11. But we'll read that during our lesson, as we will do Revelation 17, 12 through to chapter 18, verse 24, which is also mentioned here. Sunday, March 17, The Harlot Babylon Question, read Revelation chapter 17 verse 1 and Jeremiah 51 verse 13 which shows that the many waters upon which Babylon sits are the river Euphrates. According to Revelation 17.15, what do many waters symbolize? Revelation 17 and verse 1. Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls, came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot, who sits on many waters. And Jeremiah 51 verse 13. O you who dwell by many waters, abundant in treasures, your end has come. The measure of your covetousness. And Revelation 17 verse 15. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations and tongues. A woman in the Bible is a symbol for God's people. In Revelation, God's true church is portrayed by a pure woman. In Revelation 12 verse 1, the woman and the child and the dragon. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head a garland of twelve stars. And Revelation 22 verse 17, And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. A harlot thus represents a false apostate church. In Revelation 17.5, this harlot is identified as Babylon the Great, and on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and of the abominations of the earth. This harlot is identified as Babylon the Great. Just as ancient Babylon depended on the Euphrates River for its existence, so will end-time Babylon rely on the support of the masses to enforce her plans. Question. Read Revelation chapter 17, 2, along with Revelation 14, verse 8, and Revelation 18, verse 2 and 3. What two groups of people are specified as being involved in an illicit relationship with and being seduced by end-time Babylon? Revelation 17, verse 2. With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication and revelation 14 verse 8 and another angel followed saying babylon is fallen is fallen that great city because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication and revelation 18 verses 2 and 3 and he cried mightily with a loud voice saying babylon the great is fallen is fallen and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. 
for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. The first group is the kings of the earth, the governing political powers. They are portrayed as being engaged in an adulterous relationship with the harlot Babylon. In the Old Testament, the language of fornication is used frequently to describe how apostate Israel turned away from God to false religions, as we read in Isaiah 1.21 and Jeremiah 3, verses 1 through to 10. And they read... Isaiah one twenty one, how the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. In Jeremiah 3, 1-10. They say, if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's, may he return to her again? Would not that land be greatly polluted? But you have played the harlot with many lovers, yet return to me says the Lord. Lift up your eyes to the desolate heights and see where have you not lain with men. By the road you have sat for them, like an Arabian in the wilderness, and you have polluted the land with your harlotries and your wickedness. Therefore the showers have been withheld, and there has been no latter rain. You have had a harlot's forehead. You refuse to be ashamed. You will not from this time cry to me, My father, you are the guide of my youth. Will he remain angry forever? Will he keep it to the end? Behold, you have spoken and done evil things as you were able. The Lord said also to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? She has gone up on every high mountain and under every green tree, and there played the harlot. And I said, after she had done all these things, return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. Then I saw that for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a certificate of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but went and played the harlot also. So it came to pass, through her casual harlotry, that she defiled the land and committed adultery with the stones and trees, and yet for all this her treacherous sister Judah has not turned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, says the Lord. The adulterous relationship between the kings of the earth and the harlot symbolizes an illicit union between end-time Babylon and the governing political powers, a union of church and state. The second group in an illicit relationship with the harlot, Babylon, is the inhabitants of the earth, the governed masses. These are made spiritually drunk with the wine of Babylon's fornication. In contrast to the governing political powers, the general populace is intoxicated by Babylon's false teachings and practices, deceived into thinking that she can protect them. When people are drunk, they do not think clearly and are controlled easily, as it says in Isaiah 28 and verse 7. But they also have erred through wine, and through intoxicating drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink. They are swallowed up by wine. They are out of the way through intoxicating drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. The whole world with the exception of a faithful remnant, will be led astray by Babylon. 
and so to finish the day. In the very end, as today, and has always been the case, the masses of the people get it wrong. What should this tell us about the dangers of following popular sentiment, no matter how popular? Monday, March 18. The Harlot Riding on the Scarlet Beast. Question. Read Revelation chapter 17 and verse 3. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the last seven plagues offers to show John the judgment of the harlot who sat on many waters. When John sees her, she is riding the scarlet beast. In what ways do the symbols of water and beast suitably describe the supporters of Babylon? Revelation 17, verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. As John is carried in vision into the wilderness, he sees a woman on a scarlet beast. While the harlot represents a religious entity, the beast symbolizes a political power. The picture of religion riding the secular and political power points to two separate entities, something that was not the case in the past when religion and politics were integrated. The prophecy shows, however, that these two entities will join together at the end time. The concept of riding a beast denotes dominance as the rider of the scarlet beast. This end-time religious system will dominate the secular and political powers. Question, which characteristics of the harlot point to the dragon, the sea beast and the beast coming out of the earth in Revelation 12 and 13, which we've read previously. The harlot is pictured as extravagantly arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with ornaments of gold, precious stones and pearls. Such adornment was a practice of harlots in antiquity to enhance their power of seduction. Jeremiah 4 verse 30 reads, and when you are plundered, what will you do? Though you clothe yourself with crimson, though you adorn yourself with ornaments of gold, though you enlarge your eyes with paint, in vain you will make yourself fair. Your lovers will despise you. They will seek your life. As the colour of blood, scarlet corresponds to the oppressive character of this religious system. The harlot's dress counterfeits the attire of the high priest in the Old Testament attire that includes the colours purple, scarlet and gold, as you read in Exodus 28 verses 5 and 6. They shall take the gold, blue, purple and scarlet thread and the fine linen, and they shall make the ephod of gold, blue, purple and scarlet thread and fine woven linen artistically worked. The blasphemous inscription on the harlot's forehead also replaces the priestly inscription Holiness to the Lord on the mitre of the high priest, as we read in Exodus 28 verses 36 to 38. You shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it, like the engraving of a signet, Holiness to the Lord. 
and you shall put it on a blue cord, that it may be on the turban. It shall be on the front of the turban, so it shall be on Aaron's forehead, that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel hallow in all their holy gifts. And it shall always be on his forehead, that they may be accepted before the Lord. The cup in her hand, reminds us of the vessels of the sanctuary from which Belshazzar, king of Babylon, and his guests drank wine in Daniel 5, verses 2 to 4. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. The cup in the harlot's hand uses the appearance of truth to conceal the wine the falsehoods of Satan's end-time religious system in order to seduce the world away from God. The harlot Babylon is further described as drunk with the blood of the saints and the martyrs of Jesus who died as a result of their witness to Christ. This blood guiltiness links end-time Babylon to medieval apostate Christianity, which was led by the papacy and responsible for the deaths of millions of Christians who remained faithful to the gospel. And so, to finish today, the description of the harlot Babylon reflects the image of Jezebel in the church of Thyatira. Revelation 2, verses 20 to 23, reads... Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants, to commit sexual immorality, and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works." How do the parallels between these two women elucidate the character of end-time Babylon? Tuesday, March 19, The Identification of the Scarlet Beast Revelation 13 describes the Scarlet Beast in terms similar to the Sea Beast of Revelation, which made war with and overcame God's people. Revelation 17, verse 3, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And in Revelation 13, verses 5 to 7, And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, 
and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. It was this earlier period of persecution that caused the pure woman to flee into the wilderness during the prophetic period of 1260 days or years from AD 538 to 1798, as we read in Revelation 12, 13 and 14. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Though living in an age of ecumenism, Protestants would do well to remember the terrible persecution of the past, because according to prophecy, something similar, but only worse, will happen again. Question, read Revelation 17 and verse 8. Compare the wording of this verse with Revelation 13 verse 8. How does Revelation 13 verse 3 clarify the three phases of the existence and activities of the beast? Revelation 17 verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not, and yet is. And Revelation 13 verse 8, All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And verse 3, And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marvelled and followed the beast. The scarlet beast is identified as the one that was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. This tripartite phrase is, first of all, a counterfeit of the divine name Yahweh, who is and who was and who is to come, from Revelation 1 verse 4. Also, we read Revelation 4 and verse 8. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. It also further points to the three phases of existence through which the beast has passed. One, the beast was... It existed in the past. Its prior activities lasted for the prophetic period of 42 months, also known as 1260 days or years. Revelation 13 and verse 5. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. And we also looked at it on Sunday's lesson from Lesson 9. 2. Is not... With its deadly wound, Revelation 13 verse 3, 
and I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marvelled and followed the beast. The beast went into its non-existence phase, at least as a persecutor, in 1798. It vanished for some time from the world scene, yet it survived. 3. Finally, with the healing of the deadly wound, the beast will regain its power and exert it in full satanic rage. Revelation 17 describes the beast of Revelation 13, 1-8 at the time of the healing of its deadly wound. Revelation chapter 13, verses 1-8 through to eight. Then I looked on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority, and I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marvelled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who was able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for forty-two months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Upon this revised beast, the harlot Babylon sits as well. Once again, there will be a short-lived union of religion and politics as it existed during the Middle Ages, and persecution again will take place. So let's finish today by reading a short passage from The Great Controversy, page 602. Let opposition arise, let bigotry and intolerance again bear sway, let persecution be kindled, and the half-hearted and hypocritical will waver and yield the faith. But the true Christian will stand firm as a rock, his faith stronger, his hope brighter than in days of prosperity. End of quote. What warning should we take from these words about what our Christian experience needs to be now, even before final events unfold? Wednesday, March 20, The Seven Heads of the Beast Question, read Revelation chapter 17, verses 9 through to 11, along with Revelation 13, verse 18. The requirement for understanding the seven heads is a mind of wisdom. What kind of wisdom is in view here? How does one obtain this divinely imparted wisdom? Also look at James 1, verse 5. First of all, Revelation 17, 
beginning at verse 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth, and is of the seven, and is going to perdition. And Revelation 13 verse 18, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is six, six, six. And James 1 verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. The angel explains that the seven heads are seven mountains. Some translators think that these mountains allude to the seven hills upon which the city of Rome is situated, and for this reason they translate the Greek word oroi, O-R-O-I, mountains, as hills. There are seven kings, too, who are symbolized by the seven mountains. Also, these mountains are successive, not simultaneous. These mountains do not symbolize individual kings because Revelation does not deal with individual persons but with systems. In the Bible, mountains often symbolized world powers or empires, as we read in Jeremiah 51 and verse 25, Behold, I am against you, O destroying mountain, who destroys all the earth, says the Lord, and I will stretch out my hand against you, roll you down from the rocks, and make you a burnt mountain. And Ezekiel 35, verses 2 and 3. Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir and prophesy against it, and say to it, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O Mount Seir, I am against you. I will stretch out my hand against you, and make you most desolate. In biblical prophecy, kings represent kingdoms, as we read in Daniel 2, 37 to 39, and Daniel 7, verse 17. Daniel 2, 37 to 39 reads, You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, he has given them into your hand, and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And Daniel 7 and verse 17. Those great beasts which are four are four kings which arise out of the earth. Thus, the seven mountains symbolize seven great successive empires that dominated the world throughout history, through which Satan opposed God and harmed God's people. From John's time perspective, five of these empires have fallen. One is, and the other one not yet come. While no single view has been agreed upon by all Adventist interpreters, many hold that the five that have fallen are the great kingdoms of Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia and Greece. The one is kingdom was the Roman Empire of John's time. The seventh kingdom that has not yet come 
is the sea beast of Revelation 13, the papacy, which dominated and harmed God's people, that was to come after the time of John and after the fall of the pagan Roman Empire. History has powerfully attested to the truth of this prophecy, written many centuries before the events unfolded. John is further told that the Scarlet Beast is an eighth world power, although it is one of the seven heads' world powers. Which of the seven? Because these heads are sequential in time, the eighth must be the seventh head that received the deadly wound. It is at the time of this eighth world power that the Scarlet Beast appears, carrying and advancing the goals of the harlot Babylon. Today, we live at the time of the healing of the deadly wound. This eighth world power will appear on the scene right before the end and will go to perdition. Thursday, March 21, The Judgment of Babylon Question. Read Revelation chapter 13, verses 12 to 15, along with Revelation 16, verses 14 to 16. What do you learn from these texts about the ten kings? Revelation 17, beginning at verse 12. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings, who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Then he said to me, The waters which you saw, where the harlot sits, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And Revelation 16, verses 14 to 16. For they are spirits of demons performing signs, which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. Different interpretations have been offered regarding the identities of the ten kings. However, Revelation does not tell us who they are. All we can derive from the text is that they are a short-lived political confederacy appearing right before the end and supporting the harlot. Their number signifies that the world powers will render total unwavering allegiance to the beast. Revelation 17, 13 and 14 reiterates in a nutshell the Battle of Armageddon. And we've read that just a few moments ago. It, it was introduced in Revelation sixteen twelve to 16. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. 
Induced by miracle-working demonic powers in conjunction with the dragon, the sea beast and the false prophet, the worldwide political confederacy will make war with the Lamb. In other words, the Battle of Armageddon is not a military battle in the Middle East, but the final conflict of the Second Coming in which Satan and his confederacy fight against Christ and his angelic host. Question. Read Revelation 17, verses 16 to 18. From what we saw in Revelation 16, 2 to 12, what lies behind the ten kings' change of attitude toward Babylon? Who is behind what happens to Babylon? Revelation 17, beginning at verse 16. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind, and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. And Revelation 16, verses 2 to 12. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped the image. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and did not repent of their deeds. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be stopped. Filled with hatred, the ten horns, which are the successor powers to the divided nations of Europe, suddenly turn against the harlot Babylon, the end-time manifestation of the papacy, making her desolate and naked. They symbolically eat her flesh and burn her with fire. In writing about what will happen to the harlot Babylon, John employs language similar to what God said would happen to adulterous Jerusalem in Jeremiah 4, verse 30. And when you are plundered, what will you do? Though you clothe yourself with crimson, though you adorn yourself with ornaments of gold, though you enlarge your eyes with paint, in vain you will make yourself fair. Your lovers will despise you. They will seek your life. Burning by fire was the punishment for a priest's daughter who was involved in sexual immorality, as we read in Leviticus 21 and verse 9. The daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by playing the harlot, she profanes her father, she shall be burned with fire. 
The deceived political powers have become disillusioned because of the inability of Babylon to protect them from the plagues. They feel deceived and in hostility attack her. This end-time apostate religious system, together with all those who choose to identify themselves with it, experiences the fullness of divine judgment. A lot of questions about end-time events still remain unanswered and thus can seem confusing to us now. What specific promise is given in Revelation 17.14 and what should this promise mean to us? Revelation 17.14 reads, These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. Friday, March 22. Before the full collapse of Babylon, a voice from heaven urges God's people still in Babylon to come out of her, my people, Revelation 18, verse 4. There are many worshippers of God who are still in Babylon for various reasons. God uses his end-time church to call these people out from this apostate religious system and not to participate in its sins. They must come out of it in order to escape its fate. God does not want anyone to perish, as we read in Second Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Revelation 19.1-10 shows that many God-fearing people in Babylon will respond to the call. Revelation 19, beginning at verse 1, After these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, saying, Alleluia! Salvation and glory and honour and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again they said, Alleluia! Her smoke rises up for ever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sat on the throne, saying, Amen! Alleluia! Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia! For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Think, then, about the tremendous responsibility that rests upon us as God's remnant church. 
What should this responsibility tell us about our need of God's truth in our hearts and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives? And that brings us to our two discussion, no, our three discussion questions for this week. One, as Revelation 18.4 shows, there are many God-fearing people in Babylon whom God calls my people. Reflect on the following statement from the book Evangelism, page 575. This message must be given, but while it must be given, we should be careful not to thrust and crowd and condemn those who have not the light that we have. We should not go out of our way to make hard thrusts at Catholics. Among the Catholics, there are many who are most conscientious Christians and who walk in all the light that shines upon them, and God will work in their behalf. Those who have had great privileges and opportunities and who have failed to improve their physical, mental and moral powers are in great danger and in greater condemnation before God than those who are in error upon doctrinal points, yet who seek to live to do good to others. End of quote. What should this thought tell us about how to treat others? 2. Revelation 17 describes a harlot sitting on a scarlet beast. While the woman in chapter 12 symbolises God's faithful church, the one in chapter 17 refers to an apostate church seducing the world away from God. In your view, what are the similarities and differences between them? More important, what can we learn from this comparison? 3. The texts this week portray a very dismal state of the religious and political world during the final stages before Christ's victorious return. What should this tell us about why it's so important right now that we stay faithful, true and pure to the message that God has given us? Read Revelation 16.11, an appeal for faithfulness amid the depiction of worldwide apostasy. How can we apply this warning to ourselves right now? Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Rethinking Evolution and it's by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission. Stan Hudson's world was turned upside down at the age of 19 when his geology professor at the University of California announced that he believed in God. The professor turned out to be a theistic evolutionist, a person who believes that God exists, but that the earth was created through millions of years of evolution. The stance struck Stan, a budding scientist, as illogical. How could the professor put God, if he existed, in a secondary rather than a primary position? Stan also was puzzled with the notion that an all-powerful God could be the source of death. Theistic evolution teaches that death was part of God's original plan. Generations of animals had to die over millions of years to produce the creatures that inhabit the earth today. 
But Stan was most upset with the realisation that scientists were not as open-minded as he had thought, and any scientist who questioned evolution would face a major fight. He didn't want to fight, so he quit the university. Six months passed. One day, Stan's roommate, David L. Friend, asked for a Bible. Stan found one in his room, blew the dust off the cover, and gave it to David to read. Seeing David reading the Bible impressed Stan, and soon he began to read it too. After a while, Stan decided to pray. He knelt by his bed and said, Dear God, it looks like David and I are looking for you. Will you help us? The prayer, Stan later said, was probably the most powerful prayer that heaven has ever heard from him. Over the next few weeks, God grew bigger and bigger as he answered small prayers, Stan said. For example, once Stan told David, let's sell our sofa, and immediately they heard a knock on the door. Outside, a neighbour asked, excuse me, do you have a sofa for sale? A lot of little things like that delighted us, Stan said. We realised God could see us and was involved in our lives. Stan became an Adventist pastor and served for 38 years in California, Idaho and Washington State. He never lost his love for science has been an, and has been an outspoken advocate of the biblical six-day creation week on Hope Channel and 3ABN. He now directs the North Pacific Union Conference's Creation Study Centre in Ridgefield, Washington. Adventists are pretty much the last creation-believing denomination, and I'm proud to be associated with it, he said. It's our mission specifically to preach about the God who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of waters, as in Revelation 14.7. I like to turn up the volume on the first angel's message. You have been listening to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide by Dr. Percy Harold from Queensland, Australia. This service is brought to you by Hope Channel, the Sabbath School Department and Christian Services for the Blind. Remember, God is always faithful.